0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Slogging It. We are back uh, with our super celebrity guests. Uh, Now we're in season two. The first one, we're starting off with an absolute cracker. Um, Star of stage and screen, uh, Lord's Taverners Middlesex region president, and often referred to as the second son of Scotland behind Billy Connolly. Uh, A man that you will have seen without knowing that you've seen him. You'll have heard him without knowing that you've heard him across many adverts, television programmes. The legend that is Mr Gordon Kennedy. How are you, mate?
2: I'm very, very well. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, Very good to see you all. Um, It's been nice at some point. We might actually meet other human beings in the flesh. But at the moment, it's lovely seeing you in high definition squares on my television.
0: (laughs) So, Gordon, obviously, the first thing we always start off with is is cricket related. So where did your love of cricket come from and how did you get involved in it? Uh,
2: I was very lucky. My I went to a school in Edinburgh, which uh, in those days was called a grant-aided school, so it was like a like a grammar school in a way. Um, but they were very much built on the founding principles of all great education, which was sport and uh, academia in equal measure. So um, George Watson's College in Edinburgh was a is was and is a great rugby playing school. So rugby was my first love, but in the summer I loved playing cricket. Um, And um, I really wasn't very good at it, but I loved it. I loved playing it. And then in the last sort of two or three years of my school career, um, I was kind of in and out of the first team, but we got, we were starting to get young professionals from uh, all over the world were coming to Scotland when they were very young, just to prepare and play for the, in, the, in the teams. And we were really lucky. In, the, in my final two years in school, we had Kim Hughes and Terry Alderman came wow. as our professionals, who wow. were kind of quite inspirational people. Kim Hughes was just such a lovely guy. And I still, to this day, I don't think I've ever seen a batsman hit the ball sweeter with less obvious – he wasn't a bludgeoner. He was just a, a beautiful stroke of the ball.
0: Yes. Jono, you are definitely not in that category of a stroke oh, maker. Maybe a thought. bludgeoner, yes, but definitely uh, not well, a stroke yeah, maker that well, looks pretty.
2: Johnno, I, yeah, Jono, um, I have I, I played cricket with you, so as <laughs> you know. Um, and, and, and you will have seen me both bat and ball. And, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm not even as cultured as the blacksmith in England, are England. So, um, <laughs> and I would say that you are more skillful but definitely in the, of the same feeling that you feel that you know the point of playing cricket is to hit the ball extraordinarily hard, <laughs> yeah, the ball try as to. fast as you possibly can, and you know. And I absolutely agree with that. Sadly, my bowling as fast as I possibly can now is rather a joke, but. <laughs> um yeah so 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 kim hughes and then terry alderman came along and uh and taught us the uh the the marvelous art of bowling wicket to wicket which you know you'd think was really quite a basic thing to learn but we didn't know about it so i kind of did that and then um but then rugby really took over when i left school i played um i played a lot for watsonians with my brothers um who were in the scottish first division so it was very competitive top Top class rugby in Scotland, which I played for about eight or nine years before I came down to England to, to follow my career. Eight or nine, yeah, eight or nine years. So I played for Scottish colleges. We won the British Colleges Cup, um, beating Loughborough College in the final, I think it was. It was an amazing sort of time. Um, and uh, But then when I came down to England to start acting, I was also teaching. Um, and uh, that's what really rekindled my up, because way before the days of 2020, schools used to do this thing where the where the PE department would organize it and they would play against another school. But because there was so little time, they would they would play 20 hours a side, which is great. So way before 2020, I was playing 2020, And uh, as John will vouch, with my style of cricket, that was great, because uh, I didn't have to bowl very much. And I could play the ball um, all over Southeast London, which was great fun. Um, so that sort of rekindled it. And then, um, and then about the time I was starting uh, Robin Hood back in 2006, uh, Paul Robin, who was then the chairman of the Middlesex region, his daughters, purely coincidentally, went to the same school as mine. And he said, oh, we must get you to come and play cricket and all this sort of stuff. And I'd played at Wandsworth Common for a, for a team of comedians captained by a guy called Chris England, so it was called an England 11. Um, but I hadn't really been playing very much. So then, and then uh, I went out to Hungary uh, to, to film Robin Hood, and Hungary have a cricket league. Wow, extraordinarily in Amazing. Budapest. So I got very involved there, and then came back and um, my my first game for the Taverners I will never ever forget because I didn't. You'll probably realise I, I don't listen very well, um, and Paul I think had told me all about it, and he, we were out to play at the, the Saracens the annual Saracens charity match with the Taverners um and I was quite looking for I thought there might be a few famous rugby players there so I arrived and Chris Tarrant was there and I saw I sort of knew him so we chatted away and then the team went out to play and they said look we've got too too many players Gordon you and Chris to stay so I chatted I wasn't paying any attention to the cricket and then they suddenly said oh on you go so then I went on uh, to the to the to the gate to the pitch and um uh, I just sort of walked on and then the first person I saw was Mike Gatting I went Oh, that's, that's my gutting. He <laughs> and said, "Gordon, uh, would you like to bowl? We hear you're a bit of a bowler." And I went, uh, "Yeah, all right." And then he said, "Peter, to Peter Lever, could you give Gordon the ball, please?" And of course, you know, he's a test bowler and he wasn't doing really the ball, so he sort of threw it to me quite hard. Anyway, so I got the ball and I was kind of thinking, "That's quite—they're quite famous cricketers." And then I went up to the end of—I've marked out a run—and this guy came up with this massive hand on my shoulder. Colin Croft.
3: <laughs> wow.
2: uh, good luck, mate. Good luck. And then and then I turned round and it was you couldn't have written it better. So I turned around and I was about to bowl. And the umpire turned around and said, Are you ready to bowl? And it was Mike Deness. The reason I play <laughs> cricket was umpiring. <laughs> and I just said, Yeah, can I can we just take a second to your <laughs> and I literally just looked around at all these people and I thought I am going to be a taverner for the rest of my life. That is guaranteed. So, um, so it was fantastic. Uh, And then I took two wickets. So they kept me on. So by the end of it, I was absolutely knackered. I don't think I could walk for a day afterwards. It (laughs) it was just um, extraordinary. So um, that was my introduction to the taverners and to the tavern. And from then on, I was utterly (laughs) hooked. And and the I mean, and the great thing is that you know, right through lockdown, we managed to sort of keep games going, not not fundraising events, but we managed to keep games going, Um, uh, including a fantastic game we had in 2020 against the England Disability 11, combined Disability 11, And that was extraordinary because uh, they hadn't really been playing very much. So they'd basically been eating this international, this team of international athletes, which is what the team is, had been uh, basically chewing meat for about a month at some training camp. And then they came and played us and just wiped the floor with us. They beat us by, <laughs> and we had really had quite a good side there. But um, but it was great fun to play, and just such a such a a, a privilege to play with these athletes. It was
0: just fantastic. Oh, but um, I suppose yeah. our viewers might be getting a sense of déjà vu right now because they they're probably thinking to themselves they've heard this voice somewhere before. And that sort of moves us on to um, the advert that we always play in the middle of our podcast, which is which is for the Lord's Taverners. So, I mean, you know, your voice is synonymous to our listeners because ah, they listen right. to you in every single episode. So, yeah. That's,
2: yeah. Uh, well, I, I can only apologize for that, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: yeah. um, I mean, God has definitely referred to me to that about that before as his, uh, his favorite ever role. Yes, um, definitely, definitely. 30 seconds having us advert for a podcast that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> exactly. It's very, very
2: important. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. No, but, yeah, I I have to say that, we'll come on to it later on, but that is one of the things I realised very early on in my career is that you need to have more than one uh, trick up your sleeve. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're an actor, you'll spend an awful lot of time lying on a sofa like I've got behind me going, I just know because whereas we could do voiceovers and I do a bit of producing and and acting and and so you know it's all okay and I'm luckily allowed to do all, all of them so far so um it's uh, yeah it's it's it, it, that's good but
1: yes that is my voice sorry <laughs> well uh, I think Ta- Simon's going to ask about the taverners a bit more specifically in a sec but yeah no something that I think you and I obviously you just mentioned there something that you and I share we get to go and play in these games at these amazing grounds and stuff and something that i still can't get my head around is now you and i will be at an event like we were at the long room for the balloon debate and then david gower will now come and approach me and ask me how i am and i'm like yeah how on earth how on earth is this real life where david gower no a knows my name and asks to come you know comes over to ask how i am you know it just doesn't seem real but we the people that we can surround ourselves with, on behalf of the taverners, is just frankly astonishing. It is, it is
2: absolutely extraordinary. I mean, obviously,
1: Gower, I have to
2: you know, carry his luggage and his hat. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, partly, I mean, you know, I'm a Scot. It's fair enough. We were going to do that for the, um, but no, it's it, and they are such fantastic ambassadors. I mean, cricket's a unique sport, though, because it it's a sport where you can actually. And that was the amazing thing about the early games of the Tavs was watching how professionals just adapt their games so that everyone feels involved and feels in the game. And you can do that, it, it, you know, at its heart. It's a very competitive game, but there's also something incredibly inclusive about it that, that you can have a six-year-old like me bowling at, you know... Um, uh, you know, uh, Southeast or, or or John Simpson from Middlesex, and they they don't. You know, they might hit you for a couple of sixes, but they're not. They do play the game, and they, they sort of make it close, and they make it competitive, so that everybody enjoys it. And um, cricket is a game where you can use your skill to do that. A lot of games you can. I mean, rugby. I I did play one game when I was sort of um, fifty-one, and it just about killed me um, because you can't. You know, physical contact, physical contact. You can't do much about that, but. Um, Uh, but cricket's very different and it's great how you watch that
3: yeah Yeah, you've you've already spoke about obviously how you got involved with the tabs that first time and and a bit about like what you think is quite special but can you have you got to the point where you're involved in seeing what they do and how their works affected people
2: yeah I mean it was one of the great privileges of of sort of coming into the taverners and being especially when we're doing you know you know, high-profile stuff was you—you were sort of allowed to go along and look at what they were doing, and it's been really interesting watching the evolution of the taverners from, you know, simply handing out, you know, the minibuses, the keys, the mini-buses, but also seeing in those days—and this is going back a little bit now—the huge difference and the freedom that that gave to a lot of these schools that we were going into, where they, where they, where they could take their pupils to places to get physical activity which you know is a big it's a huge thing of mine especially having taught in london where you know physical you know wide open spaces are at a premium um and it's really interesting to see the effect of physical activity on kids who are you know quite shut up as you are in london um so to 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 be able to do this for everyone was a huge thing so the buses were amazing and then then we went on and there was more things like sensory rooms and sensory Water rooms and sensory playgrounds, and then now coming up to the programs that are involved now with the with the um, you know wickets, super ones, table cricket. Uh, table cricket is possibly one of the most addictive sports I think I've ever played. Actually, because um, it, 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 it looks so simple—you've got a table, you've got a ball, and you've got a little bat—and you think nothing could be easy in this, and it's so tricky and it's so addictive to play. Um, <laughs> that uh, it's, which is really interesting. But yes, so. I've been really lucky that we—I have been able to go around and and witness a lot of these things going on. Um, we haven't gone out to a wickets program yet. I, we st- I think we're starting one off in, in in Scotland in the near future, and we were in at the beginning of that. So hopefully, I'll be able to go back there when they get going with it. But the other stuff is just—it's—it's it's fantastic, and there really are proper, you know, award-winning programs, which is great, and um, they are, you know, covering so many more bases than we used to in the past and i think that's a really important thing and i think it's an, it's an important duty of a modern charities to c- continually evolve and address the look at what people are saying look at what people need and try and address those needs and, and certainly that's something that the taverns have done very well yeah
3: Continue. i seem to remember when i was when i was younger that it, you stole the buses all the time and that type of stuff and it always it seemed to be the Aimed at the like traditionally underprivileged kids so that get like the poorer areas, but now yeah. I can remember I, I spoke to John who was obviously on the local committee here about a friend, a colleague of my wife's whose son is quite severely disabled, um, wheelchair bound, very autistic, and things like yeah. that. And I says, just on the off chance, is there anything? And he went and reeled me off all this stuff that they do. And I was, oh wow, that's incredible. And so, like you say, table cricket and that type of stuff. And yeah. we're hoping to get him get him involved in, in some stuff as, as soon as we can. Cause... Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean it yes, and it's it and and of course, like a lot of things in in lockdown and stuff like that, it, it became um it, it was quite interesting because A, people were learning how to cope with it, but also you suddenly saw the importance of it because when it was not there, what happened and and how mm-hmm. the how the parents communicated that and how the kids communicated that all about their loneliness and isolation stuff like that, that, that which was quite interesting because everybody was feeling that a, a lot of people possibly for the first time in their adult lives was feeling that sense of isolation as we all felt at certain times of lockdown even when you were with your families and stuff like that you still did feel alone at times and to share that experience which is what is a reality for a lot of these kids without programs like the ones that we do and not we don't we're not the only people but without those sorts of programs where they are allowed to go and mix and socialize as well as play sport um it just i think it really brought home to everyone that works in the organization and volunteers exactly what the difference that it makes because it's very difficult to you know i was such a lucky kid you know as i said at my school and and stuff like that, I, you know, with the best will in the world, you can't just suddenly go, oh, I understand, because you don't understand. You just no. don't. And then in lockdown, just seeing the difference that this made when we are coming out of it and the, the, the kids who'd been kept engaged by this amazing sort of team of people that came back to it all. And, in fact, they increased their numbers during lockdown, which seems to be weird because they weren't meeting. But they just, more and more people came to it because they saw this as a pathway to get out of
1: um, and to help you know, enhance their lives. It really does. It really does serve as a kind of a social interaction experience for these youngsters as well, doesn't it? I mean, I know oh, you just it, but I mean, it, they, it really, really does. Ha- I mean, we try and um, talk, you know, talk as much as we can about what the Taverners do. I know we just referenced table cricket. Super One, I, I mean, if you can talk a little bit more about, you know, Super Ones, Wickets, just what these programmes actually do. Uh, and, yeah, and I day- mean, the, the- the, the wickets one's really interesting because I, I i didn't
2: know i didn't couldn't quite work out what it was because it was sort of like urban cricket going into urban areas but actually it was very the the people that were behind it were very clever in looking at areas where they could do something where there was a where there was a, a current and possibly urgent social problem that required a bit of clever social engineering and the answer was relatively simple but but they would go and they would really make sure that these areas were the right places, so there was lots of places where they were going out saying what's happening here and there was a there was one place where there was a, a real trouble with gangs and fireworks and it's a really problem because it can burn down houses and stuff like that and what happened there was that one there was another one with with drugs and another one with radicalization and what happened according to the 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 authorities that were sort of monitoring the situation was that they went in and within. Within months, within two or three months, the problem had gone. But much more importantly, the program was almost self-sufficient and almost going on and just making a, a, a real difference. And that's not by accident. It seems a very simple idea that you get kids to go and play sport, cricket mainly. And the people that are running and organizing are are these figures of authority that they are supposed to not like or not think are human, like police people or whatever it might be or whoever they might be in that area. Um, And then they they get something to eat afterwards and then somebody comes and talks to them about gang warfare, about the danger of fighting, about the danger of knives, whatever it might be. So there's a whole thing going on which is actually very subtle but, but really works very well. And of course now the program is on such a size is that we've got these wickets ambassadors who are you know young men or women who have come through the wickets program and are able to say Look, this is what it does for me this is what it might do for you blah 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 and it, it 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 all starts from the core of the idea of you bring people together to play a bit of sport and they laugh they relax they socialize before you you don't do any of that that's just happening because they're playing in a team sport and then the other stuff the more subtle stuff that's there works really well and it just seems to be such a a strong and clever programs that are out, and they're they're not the same but they do become self-perpetuating after a couple of years I think it is now so that they they don't they're, they're not weighing on on the taverners um hugely in terms of we give them a bit of money but they don't need personnel and stuff like that um so that's that's a really interesting program, and one that I haven't seen a lot of. And I think it's very clever how it targets, and it's expanding. So got, there's more and more of them going on all the time. Um, and uh, and then Super Ones is just the love of the great outdoors, playing sport. And again, it's just it's bringing these people together who otherwise would find it very difficult to do organized sporting activities. And you talk to them, and you talk to their parents about the difference in those people in their confidence. In their social skills, in all that stuff that we all took for granted, because we all played sport, we all understood that's why we played it, because it was a laugh, and you may, you had mates. You know, yeah. two really simple things there uh, that that are that are beyond just taking for granted. If you have, you know, certain needs that, that, that because of your physical disability, your mental disability, whatever it might be. And so to bring these people into a place regularly where they can do that and they can build up bonds and friendships and all that stuff, it's fantastic. It's just great.
1: With the uh, the Taverners, so you and yeah. I obviously both gotten to know the new CEO, Mark Curtin, uh, yeah. who's, who's recently come in. Um, I, I find him, I listen to him speak, and obviously he's had quite a tough upbringing himself, yeah. uh, which he's obviously very open about. Mark's going to join us on the podcast in a few weeks. Um, how inspirational do you see him being as well as many others you know the guys that we see a lot of in the taverners what do you think yeah of him? i
2: mean he, i mean i think he is he's very um he's very on the front foot at the moment and and he's you know he's on a mission and i think that's that's what you need you need a plan you need a man with a, a man or a woman or whoever with a plan and um and a passion and and he's got both and uh he will take you know because it's important because the the worst thing you can do in this day and age is stay still for a second. If you do that, you're dead in the water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of money that needs to be raised every year. And you can't rely, what you did last year, you know, if anything, the last three years has taught us what you did the year before may not be relevant the next year, you know. And, yeah. uh, you know, and he's trying to make sure that, uh, along with the team, they're trying to make sure that we are future-proof. And so that as we go on, you know, for the next 70 years it's going to evolve and it'll be you know i don't want the taverners to be recognizable as the taverners now in 10 years or 20 years because if we are then we'll probably just be slowly going into a dwindling you know even though marvelous though it is Ooh. in 10 and 20 years time there'll be other things to do there'll be other priorities you know we need to keep looking at that what, what do we need to be doing you know already you can sort of see there's a lot of um you know, travel is provided now that wasn't, you know, five, ten years ago. So our you know, the minibuses are becoming less and less probably relevant in a way. The schools don't want to take on with minibuses with big diesel engines chewing out stuff. They maybe don't need to do that. So, you know, all those sorts of things, along with all the programs, developing new programs, I'm sure, that will come out that will that will realise we can do more good in different ways. And I think that's the point is and, and I think he does that. And I think he's a he's a person that's going to lead that. Um you know for the next however long he can do it because again i think i think it's important that these people they they don't stay around you know to I man he's only just in the job but i'm sure he himself would say that that they don't want to stay around too long because they they want to get another challenge we want to bring in more fresh ideas because yeah. you know that is how I think businesses and charities are a business they've become successful as people challenging what you have and you hold on to the things that are very dear to you. But the other stuff, you chuck away and bring in that, that new stuff. You're quite right.
1: So I think at this point, as we uh, as we do every week, it would be remiss yes. of us not to to now um, talk talk about the, the taverners. Obviously, you'll have heard Gordon there talk passionately about the great work that they do. Uh, the text number, as always, to donate £3 is 60331. And the text to send is tabs 11 uh, please ensure that you're at least 18 years of age and have the bill paid permission to do so. Uh, Three pounds, the more of us that do that, um, it, it, it just helps such a wonderful charity that obviously Gordon and I are incredibly close to uh, do yeah. some fantastic work. Um, and so we, we encourage, uh, only if you can afford it, uh, but please do continue to support um, what is a, a, a just an incredible, incredible charity. So, so
0: you know, as an actor... I mean you, yeah. you mentioned it in a little bit in the prequel that we were catching up it's It's one of the jobs that is probably the most insecure um It's probably the most rewarding in terms of the 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 opportunities that you see yourself and you know you become a household name but but you know what are the dark sides to sort of acting and and you know did you did you happen to experience any of those
2: uh yeah uh and the the great myth is that 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 somehow goes away and it just doesn't um you know, acting is an incredibly um, competitive business, as it as it, as it should be. And um, there are far uh, far more actors than there are acting jobs um, at any one time, and especially um, at the moment with you know theatres being so wracked with the pandemic. Um, and you know, there the there is a fear. You know, you 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 on the last day of filming, whatever it is you're filming, you do just look around and go, hmm, when will I be back? film set if you don't know when your next job is and you know and that can that can play any and everybody i mean everybody from you know sean connery benedict cumberbatch whatever everybody has periods in their life when they are you know when it's slow and then nobody seems to want them and whatever else it is and you know i've talked to a lot of young actors because obviously i'm of a generation now that my you know my children are of an age where their friends the few friends they have that might want to go into directing or, or acting and stuff like that. And the first thing I see is that the one thing you've got to get used to is rejection. Um, you know, that's... Uh, and And also, to put it in context, it's not personal. It's, you know, when you get a job, understand that it's not just your talent. It could be that you look like the person you're meant to be related to. It could be that you don't look like the person they don't want you to look like. It could be that they just, uh, for whatever, on that day they're in a good mood they think, oh, that's nice. Or they've seen a programme you you're in the night before that you were good in or shit in, and, you know, <laughs> either way, you know. Um, and, the, you know, there is there is an awful lot of fate and happenstance and luck and all that sort of stuff. You know, I, what I try to say to people is the fact that you're in the room means a casting director thinks you're a good actor. Therefore, you're all right. You're a good actor. Whether you get the job or not is down to so many different things. Uh, that you have no control over and have no knowledge of. And generally speaking, it's not its not because you've done a shit edition. It'll be because you're too tall, too short, too wide, too Scottish, too whatever, you know. Um, and, and I think if you can see rejection in those terms, then that's great. But of course I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world. Because I don't, <laughs> ever, you know. It took me about three months to watch... Um, Uh, Killing Eve uh, because I'd gone up for a part in that um, and uh, I watched the trailers and the person who got the part I just thought was not as good as me and therefore I just didn't watch it because I was in a massive cell and this is a man aged 60 I mean really come on grow up but you (laughs) don't you really don't And, um, and and then luckily I have a family who are very good at putting me right and saying grow up (laughs) I'm going to get a bloody dog, Um, but it is it is that thing you do you you do take it personally, and then also it is it's there is an insecurity about it, you know, um, which you know one of my big things about when I'm acting is that I want to enjoy it. I want to learn, improve, do that every day, but I really want to enjoy it. And the thing that right from the off, and I remember doing this when I first did commercials. When I first came to London, that's all the work I could get, was doing the old commercial. Um, was going onto the set and just seeing the morning actors group. And there'd be a little lot in the corner on the first morning going, Oh, the coffee's a bit cold, the thing and I was kind of going, mate, you're in Shepperton Studio, you're gonna get paid almost half your year's wages for three days' work. What are you complaining about? You know, enjoy it. Be, you know, because if you can't enjoy it when you're working. Because you're out of work much more than you're in work as an actor, always. I mean, even the, even the busy people are. So the idea that you would then get a the job and then go out there and start moaning about it, jeez. I mean, yeah, of course, when you're in a thing for six months, you love days when you're a bit pissed off. But the idea that, that you would just start from the negative point of view it used to drive me nuts. And as a producer, uh, you know, when I'm casting people, you know, I, I can't tell you, I, you know, there's lots of very, very good actors that I would never cast in anything I'm doing because they're just, they're just negative, you know, and I just don't want it. I want to have fun when I'm when I'm actually doing something and making something, whether as an actor or a producer, I want to enjoy it. I'm very selfish about that. I want to
1: like it and I want to have a laugh and I want to enjoy it. And I so reputa- it. reputation then with producers counts for a huge amount then in terms of if you if you get a reputation as someone who maybe does sulk a bit or doesn't necessarily isn't a team player like it, it can really work against you
2: i think it can because there's 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 a choice you know you could i could show you you know i could show you 30 people who could do anything i do as well as me you know Bless you for 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 saying, no, no, you can't, because you're such a special character. <laughs> well, surely director, not, Gordon, surely and, not. <laughs> and you've got to, I mean, obviously, casting directors look at that, and they just, you know, they'll look at the people, and they'll go, well, hmm, yeah, he's a bit of a pain, he's a bit of a moaner, and, you know, and that, and that, especially if you're doing, doing something like Robin Hood, you know, the casting of that, they were really clear about that afterwards. We didn't know it at the time. But they just wanted people that would get on because we were going to Hungary for six months. You know, you, you, all you need is one negative yeah, yeah. force in there and it makes it all just horrible. It's like a you know, it's like a cancer. In a way. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important. And it's not that you're always happy and always, you know, on top of the world, especially when you're doing something for six months. There's times when you're really low and stuff, but your other friends will come and pick you up and, and get you going again. And that's how it works. Um and, and, and if you get that, as we did on that particular show, it's fantastic. And I have to say, the vast majority of stuff I've done has been exactly like that. So you just get this amazing feeling of... A, it's, mean, it's, it's, Because acting is a team sport. It's exactly the same as a team thing. You're there to do a role. You have a very specific role. And sometimes you're the centre of attention. And sometimes you're the supporting actor and you're supporting other people. And if you do that properly, then you get a good show. If you don't do that properly, then the show looks crap. Undoubtedly. So it's it's it is that thing. And I I like the fact that I both coached and played a lot of team sports because I think that prepares you for that and it mm. gives you um a real insight into how that
3: works. Not just with the actors, but with the whole crew as a team as well. It's a really interesting viewpoint now, as I say. I've never thought of of it that way with acting. I've always assumed every actor always wanted I mean it's a bit like cricket as a sport, I suppose. Every person wants to be like the main man on the day, but you've got there are times within it where you're not. I've yeah, never I mean even the stars,
2: no, and the and the one the good ones, you know, are um you know fantastic like that. I, I you know I remember the first big movie I did, um I did quite a lot of stuff with Julie Walters. It was a thing called I don't know what it's called now. It's about A transvestite working in the city and I was his mate and Julie Walters had fallen in love with him and I had a couple of really good scenes with her and my first scene in the film was with Julie Walters and she was just so supportive and so keen that I would get the right place and the right you know to get things going and and so encouraging and just lovely and and um and you just it's just class you know when you get that and generally speaking the very very well-known, famous, good actors are like that. I find, in my experience, they're not the divas that you think they are, especially in the UK, because there's just no time. We don't have enough money to have somebody in a trailer all morning. You know, yeah. we wouldn't be able to finish the final episode if we had that. And I think everyone knows <laughs> that. And also, I think partly because we are a, a kind of a theatrical society. So everyone starts in the theatre, probably. Um, and so, you know, in the theatre, you just there's, there's no. You know, there's no escape. You're going on every night, and you've got to learn your lines and come on at the right moment, go off at the right moment. And you know, if you don't do that, then you're going to be exposed. And um, I think that's part of it, you know. Um, and and as I say, I think the 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 idea that the sum of the parts is 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 really important, like a, like a good team, like a, any good team. And that you know, the producer is the manager the uh you know the direct sorry the directors the manager the the producers the owner you know it's like it's like a football team in that way you know and the, and the, and the um and then the actors are the kind of the the, the star players and the and the, and the and the all the other guys are the midfielders I suppose I don't know but it is but it is like that and and when you see and then within that all these things all the departments are teams as well and you see some departments that are just working so well and other ones, Maybe aren't and 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 uh, and again
1: it's this it's teamwork it, and and it's undoubtedly that that's what that's what makes it good. There's a story about uh, I know obviously Hugh Jackman is one of the biggest actors in the world, isn't he? And, and has done yeah. loads of stuff, but I loves his cricket. I'd love to get him a Woodstock, but I've just got no way of getting a hold of him. So maybe Gordon can get me in I've um, <laughs> I, I, It's a speed dial on my phone. Two <laughs> <laughs> G. <PG>. Oh, <yeah.
2: laughs> Yeah, a, yeah, I'm going to call you, about. You need a weed stop,
1: mate. Yeah. <laughs> the, um mate. I've heard a story before about, I think it's like every week or something. Now, he's, apparently he's never had a big winner, but apparently every Friday, wherever he is in the world, he buys every member of the uh, crew or casting crew a lottery ticket. And really? apparently Yeah, apparently, yeah. Uh, now, whether that's true or not, or whether it's like a bit of a, <laughs> I don't know, but um, I'm sure I, I saw that. him interviewed and he confirmed it.
2: Yeah, yeah. no, no. I bet you that's a, that's a great idea. Um, I'm not going to do it, like. You know, <laughs> come on, you don't do that, mate. We'll expect it every week. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a brilliant
3: idea. Do you have a, <laughs> a preference as to like a, a role? Like, is, do you prefer like a more serious type of role or a comedic type of role? Or a, a, do you prefer it in the theatre or on? A, no, I.
2: I kind of, the, my favourite things are are picking up a script or a piece of paper and thinking, I absolutely can't do that. There's no way on earth I can do that. Uh, and then doing it. Um, wow. So, um, I mean, that, that's, Robert Hood wasn't a bad example because I was, I was about twice the age of the rest of the merry men, you know, um, <laughs> they were all 25 whippets and, um, and I was this. And so I trained really hard for it. And um, and then quite early on, we had a fight scene where I really didn't take any prisoners. Um, we had a sort of a bicker amongst ourselves. And I went I was trying to kill one of our people who I thought um, had, was a spy uh, and they were trying to hold me back. Um, and uh, it was it was great because I, I hurt all of them. And, <laughs> and then after that, it was fine. Um, but, yeah, no, I it, uh, uh, yeah, I, I like that. And then I did a thing called the James plays uh, for 2014, which was three, it's like a history cycle, so it was three two-hour plays. Um, and I had big parts in all three plays, and we did it at the Edinburgh Festival, then came down to the National. And it was at the time of the independence vote, so it was all about... Scotland, the beginning of scotland's political relationship with england so it was james the first second and third of scotland and yeah. um and it was three two and a half hour plays and i just thought there's no way i can do this but well, i want to try but i think i was going to fail and then we did it and it was amazing and and uh i learned a lot but yeah so that my favorite thing is being is definitely being challenged and as an ex-sportsman and I, I trained as a pe teacher i love being physically challenge as well so that was why things like Robin Hood were great and I I, I did a job over the summer last summer I can't tell you about it because it's top secret but it involved fighting somebody very well known um, and eventually putting the head in them and they were all really worried about this and the stuntman was brilliant he just paid me the biggest comment he just said i we're not worried about this You take it, it's exactly how you're doing it. It's completely convincing and it looks absolutely real. And the producers left the set because he's so (laughs) nervous. It's star's nose. And I I wasn't, I mean, obviously, because I kind of knew what I was doing. But it was, yeah, so stuff like that is physical challenges of
0: acting's great. During the story of of obviously filming in Hungary, um, there was apparently a scenario where you ended up in hospital or there was a hospital... (laughs) no actually a... okay
2: no that's my fault i and i told the story this way to the journalist, so it's entirely fair enough but it's true um yeah i i was running down a hill and i tore a hamstring um so <laughs> but i immediately knew i'd done it again it's that thing of being a sports you kind of know what you've done yeah. much you know the doctor will conv- you know, tell you a week later he say yeah mate i know that can you just get me um <laughs> So I knew, I, as soon as I did it, I hyperextended my knee, running down a hill, but in sand, and I just got my foot wrong. Uh, so I tumbled over, fell down, and said, I've torn a hamstring, I need to get ice on it now, I don't want to move, and then you need to take me somewhere else to get treated. Um, and interestingly enough, Sam Trouton, whose brother is Jim Troughton, who was... Oh, the cricket yeah, Captain. Yeah, so Sam Trenton was one of the other. He's a very good actor. He's one of the other main men. And there's a brilliant fil- footage. I've got the clip somewhere, um, where I go fall over. And I'm lying, screaming on the ground, going "Ah, fuck!" Ah, and swearing yes. away. And uh, Sam Trenton kneels down, looks up at the camera, and goes, "Sub," <laughs> 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 which you know, presence of mind to be that funny uh, yes. was very good. Anyway, I yeah, so I I get the ice on the leg, and then I get put in the um, in, an, in an ambulance, and I get taken off. And obviously, the one of the um, English-speaking Hungarian, you know, production managers is in a car. But but the, the guys in the ambulance, who normally just hang around a film set for six months and don't do anything, they got the blues and twos on. There were sirens, and we were going down the motor. It's a torn hamstring, but they were giving it big things. So then we go to hospital, <laughs> interesting enough, in a town called God, which I think is quite interesting. Um, so we go to the hospital. And, of course, I'm dressed as Little John, and not like that. I mean, I've got them caked in kind of mud. By the, by, this stage, it was series three, so it's two or three. So I had, like, dreadlocks. I looked like um, uh, the... Uh, the, um, uh, the Gummage or something. No, well, no, I was going to be slightly more complimentary. Um, <laughs> uh, I was <laughs> going to say uh, Predator. Like, the, you know, the Predator kind of dreadlocks. <laughs> Orzel, Sorry, God. Um, yeah all uh, gummage stroke predator, but completely covered. And of Oof. course, I had my trousers around my ankle because <laughs> I'd put ice on my leg. So I came in on the gurney and they put me down. And the Hungarian doctor asked me in Hungarian what was wrong with me. And I, along the lines of, did you not realize who I am? I've torn my hamstring. And of course, as far as he was concerned, I looked like a tramp. Because I was in <laughs> rags, because that's what the rags were. My trousers were around my ankles, and I was speaking in tongues. It like English to <laughs> him, Because I was speaking English. Going, I think I've torn my hamstring. You probably need to do a scan, which in Hungarian probably saying, like... <laughs> <laughs> so they they, they then plonked me on this basically a, a, a hardwood table with a plastic sheet on the top. <laughs> and I was sort of pulled into the drunken tramp. Sort of section of A and E because <laughs> there's someone else shouting over there uh, in in Hungary, definitely drunk, um, and I was sort of going, I I don't think you quite understand. You're going, yes, that's right. To be like that. um, and then eventually the first AD came in, and I was whisked off to this lounge <laughs> suite where I, my leg was scanned. And I did have a tear in my hamstring, so it was funny, but it was very funny. It was bit, the, the best bit was getting taken off the gurney, which was perfectly comfortable, onto literally, you know, a dining, a dining room table um, with a plastic sheet on it, um, as they tried to work out what the man was speaking in tongues was all about. Um, yes, that's a, that what did a great happen.
0: story. Yeah,
2: no, it was. Um, it was good. Even as
1: it, even as it was happening, I was thinking, this might be quite a good anecdote one day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of our mutual friends, you referenced his father earlier, Chris. Uh, Toby yeah. Torrent has, uh, yes. has submitted a question. <laughs> uh, and I remember speaking to you about this, uh, certainly harlots, when we were at an event together last year. Um, yeah. So he said he wants you to talk us through, uh, well, he wants you to answer which out of harlots and train spotting two did your wonderful wife Susan prefer, and if you could give us a brief synopsis of both of the roles within those two, yeah, okay.
2: Well, well, Train Transporting, is interesting, and again, this will sound like an apocryphal story, but it actually, this is actually what happened. My agent called me and said, um, Danny Boyle wants to meet you for a part in spotting. and I said, Great, absolutely, let's do it. When Said no, I need to tell you a little bit. No, you don't need to tell me about the part. It's Danny Boyle. It's Train Spotting Two. Are you fucking mad? It's Train Spotting Two. It's the best, you know, and it's Danny Boyle. He's my hero. I want to do it. And she said, "Well, I really think I need to tell." And I said, "Listen, I don't care if Danny Boyle wants to stick a dildo up my arse. I want to be seen for this part." To which my agent said, "It's funny you should say that." And, um, uh, so so then uh i did meet for the part which did involve a certain amount of um uh, uh it was a scene with a prostitute I, it was a honey trap i was a, a deputy headmaster of an Eng- of an edinburgh porsche school uh and i liked uh having prostitutes uh do certain things with strap-ons and um and that was that. That was it, was it. Was three or four scenes, and it was great. And but it was fantastic because I went up to Scotland and we rehearsed. <laughs> Would you <laughs> um, mainly the scene with uh, with um, what's the name afterwards? But uh, we rehearsed quite a lot. And um, I think my the one of my proudest moments in my acting career was that they had to move uh, the monitor that Danny Boyle was watching on. Further away twice because we could hear him laughing when I was doing <laughs> my performance of the deputy head teacher getting a right to from a Bulgarian prostitute, and so you know uh, that was uh, so that was uh, very good, um, but obviously you know I mean I, I I I was pretty honest about it, and I remember one day getting a text from my eldest son. He was in his twenties by now, so we're not you know he was an adult. Um, and he said, "Dad, because I said, look, I've done this in the film, but you know he, they can cut it out the film. I may not be in the film because I'm only in it for about five minutes." Um, and he said, "Dad, I think I think I saw you in the trailer." And I said, "Oh, that's great." And then I watched the trailer, and there was just one bit where you just saw me naked flopping onto a bed, and and you know James is obviously going around. And I was going, "That's my dad. He's in Train Spotting too." <laughs> slightly, slightly dodgy uh, clip. But anyway, uh, and then. And then it comes to the point when the, the, there's a lot of furore as you probably remember, Spotting 2 is a big film. And so then there was a thing, of what am I going to do with this? Because it's going to be a big elephant in the room for quite a long time because all, all my friends are going to go and see it and, you know, the, the, the kids' friends are going to go and see it. So what I did was I hired um, our local cinema, which seats about 60 people, and invited all of uh, our uh, friends to come and see it. And I introduced the film and and sat in the audience so that everybody saw it collectively and then it was out in the open we didn't have to talk about it anymore if they didn't want to or they could laugh about it or whatever but it kind of did it that way and um most people are out of therapy now so that's (laughs) 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 um yeah and then and then harlots obviously um my storyline in harlots was i um i took a mistress uh into my quarters which in those days was the was the big payday for the for the prostitutes um and uh and she was great but obviously it was a much younger person and I was doing quite a lot of intimate scenes on a fairly much a daily basis and uh yeah so i uh, you'd really have to ask my wife what she thought about that we, watched, <laughs> we did what it, it was one of our lockdown treats um that was it's quite it's quite, it quite a cold atmosphere in in the lounge um <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't our finest lockdown moment, I don't think. But no. <laughs> um, I'm still here.
3: Uh, <laughs>
2: exactly. and, um, I mean, I watched I think- the Tiger
3: King. I mean, which was odd, but I can't imagine how. Sorry. <laughs> I watched Tiger King, which was quite odd, but I can't yeah. imagine how your lockdown would have been watching that.
2: No, no, no. Well, luckily, yeah. I mean, I'm, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, what I should have done was just made her watch everything I'd ever done, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, my darling, <laughs> we'll be watching <laughs> the Ross Abbott or whatever. Yeah, but anyway, it was. Um, it was. Uh, uh, yeah, but it was very entertaining, and and Harlots was really good fun. It was just again, it was a really nice cast of people, and it was that thing. It was. It was written by um, a, a woman, and and it was it, all the heads of department were women, and the production company was uh, run by women, and it was. The script felt do you know you know when you're out in and you there's there's sort of I don't know, your wives or girlfriends are at one end of the table and you go down there and you suddenly realize a conversation you probably don't want to listen to, and they all stop and get rather sheepish about it because yeah. it's filthy, whatever it might be. And that's <laughs> what Harley's script was like. It was it was so brilliantly written from a female point of view, and in a way quite empowering about Uh, you know, you'd think being prostitutes, it's not. But they were. They were the ones that were in power. And it was an extraordinary
1: bit of scripting in that way. So it was great fun to be part of that. It's great. Brilliant. Uh, I think we're going to move on now to to cricket. Uh, Scottish cricket, obviously, you're very proud of Scots. uh, Support England cricket. But um, obviously, Gus Mackay, uh, ex-Zimbabwean cricketer, is now in charge of Cricket Scotland. Uh, We both have the great pleasure of knowing through the, the tavern and stuff. They, you must be very proud. Obviously, the, the, the lads represented themselves really well recently the Under-19 World Cup. Um, yeah. What are your hopes and dreams for, for Cricket Scotland as we, we move forward?
2: I think, you know, I think they've got to be realistic. I think it's, you know, they're not, they're not Ireland or anywhere near that. Um, but they, the great thing is that that second and third tier is now becoming very competitive. And it's like, it's, not, it's like anything else. What you want to do, you occasionally want to play people much better than yourselves because occasionally you'll do very well against them. But most of the time, what you want to be doing is having really close competitive matches so that that group of teams will all – I mean, they've all improved. I mean, all of that lot of, you know, um, so Papua New Guinea, Ireland, Netherlands, Scotland, you know, th- those teams, they're all getting – they are all getting better, um, you know. Uh, and obviously, you know, England come up to Scotland, they get a right old hiding in the last one day they played <laughs> Um But, but you know, it, 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 which is great. And I think, um, but I think, and I think also, it's very good that there's more and more of them are playing in the in the county system, and that's good. They just need to coordinate those when they're so when they're off on international tours, it's not it's not affecting their their club careers because it's. I think it's important that they play. That level but there's an extraordinary amount of talent the, the problem in scotland is the length of the cricket season if you're if you're a school kid is really short but for, in my school in in watson's george watson's in, in edinburgh we have an extraordinary indoor facility for cricketers uh, so that they're they're going from you know really as soon as the rugby season is finished sort of end of march easter time they're in there for a good you know six weeks before they can get out in the pitches but they're getting quality time to develop their skills they then have to play in a very truncated season because it's especially with the schools but then mm. clubs are picking that picking up that slack um and the and the you know the club the club system in scotland is okay it's it's good it can, it can bring up people uh, and obviously rather like the scottish um you know professional rugby team we're attracting people from all over the world and also attracting people who are you know who feel they are scottish by to their mother or their grandmother and that's fine we've, we've never had a problem with that so um i think it's good and i think putting somebody like gus up there is really important because i think it's important that that people have someone to um you know who's been there and done it to a certain extent yeah. um uh being there to support them um and uh you know they've got some very good cricketers up there and you know every time we play against a young team we did it this year's up playing a taverners game and there's a couple of kids from fetties playing beautiful little cricketers really good so you know i think it's 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 developing but i think it's a long-term thing i don't think you can you know scotland will always have a problem with resources as it does in rugby as it does in football you know and you'll go through golden eras but they won't last forever but what what's what scotland and ireland and wales generally are very good at is making the most of the resources you know everyone says england's very wasteful the resources it's very difficult. When you've got you know rugby and cricket like they have the number of people playing to work out the pathways to get to where you know they are and i think it's easier in smaller countries and i certainly think that's what um you know what gus is very keen to develop is the, is those pathways uh, and also utilizing talent just finding out where the talent is because a lot of the talent will lie outside our borders that's perfectly legitimately scottish yeah. but it's not necessarily living in scotland um and that's OK. We're wandering, we're wandering Celtic tribes. That's what we do.
1: So it's all right that they come back and play for Scotland. I suppose the um, from that, um, let's call them the associate nations, the, yeah. the, the Afghanistani stories, the, the kind of real dream ticket, isn't it? You look look at the rapid rise of the Afgan- Afghanistani national side, Rashid Khan, Majibal Al uh, Majib, isn't it? Uh, the mystery spinner who's yeah. played for Middlesex. I, I mean... You've you probably shared a dressing room with him uh, if the over 50s have played alongside the, the, the first team.
2: <laughs> yeah, sadly, the over 60s second 11, which is um, <laughs> part of my team, uh, doesn't quite do that. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, the Afghanistan story is 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 the stuff of sporting legend. Um, you know, one would worry about how it's how it's going to carry on at the moment. Um and especially with it, because the you know the, the 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 women's team and the women's football team are doing incredibly well as well, and that and that's a real cause for concern uh, in terms of how they you know they've got they've got everyone's there, but what happens for the next generation is a is a worry. But yeah, and and also it kind of shows what can happen when you get the right focus and the right people in place, because that happened pretty quickly. Yeah, in Afghanistan. yeah. Um, yeah. If you think about it; in terms of a number of years. Um, and um uh, yeah and i think it i mean the i mean i suppose the interesting thing about afghanistan was almost that the the money side of it wasn't as big a deal as if you're ireland or scotland because there's other sports competing with you um yeah, you know yeah. they were they had pretty much a clean run at it but um but yeah no it's it, it's fantastic and you know it's important politically as well i mean every time you see afghanistan as a cricket team and they're there it's important because it's sort of for a long time, up until what happened just recently, it sort of made them feel like they were just another nation, like any other nation. That's a huge development from what, what you know, in terms of changing our perceptions of how we see Afghanistan and and uh, stuff. And that's which makes you know, what's happened recently all the all the sadder. But I think, um, you no, know, but I think it's, it's a it's a it's a great uh, and and should be encouraged and and hopefully, you know. Sport is, has a role to play in the future of these places, and there's no doubt about it. But you know, it's a long and hard road ahead. I think,
1: I think the uh, I think finally it'd be remiss of us not to allow the South African to talk to the Scot or ask the Scot the question about the demise of English cricket. So, uh, Eugene, if you, <laughs> you want know, going- to.
0: I was going to say, Gordon. It must be so pleasurable. I don't know how much of an English supporter you are, coming from Scotland. But how great was it watching the Aussies uh, do one over the the English, and then more more recently, the West Indies side also also turning over the English.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I. It's funny. I'm very, I'm very uh, torn. I'm, I am a passionate Scot. So you know, in this week, building up to Scotland England at at, um, um, well, Murrayfield. i on it, Scotland. At, uh, you know the result's not in question. It's the lambs to the slaughter going up there um uh but the um i I didn't take a huge amount of pleasure because it was so one-sided mm. um I think the you know the best the best you know when England get beaten in the world cup, the best way that England get beaten in the world cup is the ninety fourth minute by one nil, and it's a scrappy <laughs> goal. you know that's what you want to see happen just so at the very moment if it just drains out but it was just so one sided um i mean i think there is probably things that are wrong with the test team i do i do wonder how much the circumstances in which we're living in has got to do with it there's been some pretty weird cricketing results going on around the world at mm. the moment you know so um you know starting last summer when we got a team of you know the the second the, the england second 11 beat pakistan i mean comfortably in in three one days which was fantastic and it was great to see and I'm not, this is not derogatory against any of the people that were playing but there's just some interesting things going on whether it's to do with the pitches becoming more different worldwide, being prepared more differently or whether it's just people in a bubble and getting tired of being in a bubble and how that affects people the whole nation seems to have a massive effect on it although obviously you know it didn't help us this summer so I, maybe, maybe, maybe it is that. But yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I, it was just so one-sided and um, awful. Uh, and then, and I think you know, I think the 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 T 20s I think, funnily enough, Owen Morgan's quite a canny bloke, and I think he probably thought actually that's probably the best thing that could happen to this group of players right now.
3: Mm. Is just prior to is the World Cup, right?
2: Yeah, just saying. There you go. So are not we're not quite as good as we thought we were yeah there's nothing wrong with that you know um and uh, and there was you know there was glimpses and there was definitely people in there that could do very well and you know and the and they you know and the under 19s have done very well in the in the in the, in the world Cup. Awesome,
1: actually yeah yeah yeah. And, yeah well they, so, i was watching that they were playing afghanistan in the semi final just as i yeah. came up to the court. so i'm not entirely sure how that will have finished afghanistan were looking quite good when I uh, when I decided to yeah, I, to I, I don't
2: people. know but I mean they but they yeah but they have they, got the semi-finals so that's that's pretty good and they look yeah, like cool. some real talent there but they they they, they were marginal favourites going into the game I read yeah. somewhere I think Crick Info which is, tends to be more neutral than the British press said they were they were they were <laughs> um, they were marginal favourites but yeah no but they, you know that's okay the young boys that's good yeah um, absolutely. yeah so I think um, I who knows I I think. Uh, we don't have we don't have we don't have openers in England Mm. that's if you if you want me to say what England need to do what they need to do is to find a Strauss and a Lamb somewhere young young versions of those uh, somewhere that's what they need any test team any test team that's going to do well has to have one and two because the whole thing is set up from there your bowler's rest, your mental rest for the captain, who's never normally an opener. You know, the fact that people, that four, five and six can come in when the bowlers are tired. If you're losing three wickets before, you know, halfway through the morning session, mm. you're dead in the water. If you yeah. do it all, I mean,
1: everyone does it occasionally, but if you do it all the time, you're dead in the water. Oh, the because, draining effect it must have had on, on on Joe Root, you know, as you say, you you're out in the field for a day and a half and two days, and then next thing you know, three overs. You're yeah. in. You you, you, you yeah. relied upon to go out and do save the save the side, effectively. And then
2: the overworked bowling unit is scoring thirty, forty percent of the runs. Yeah, yeah. And then going out to bowl for another day and a half, get clattered, and then the batsmen go in and they're back out bowling again. You know, less than a day later, yeah. you can't. It, you know, it, it, I mean, t- Test cricket is tough. <laughs> you know, and that's why it's great. And that's why it should carry on. But I, I think there is, yeah, everyone goes on about the batting unit. No, it's two openers that will stay there until tea. Not yeah. every time, but sometimes.
0: As you say,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Halfway through, you know, no wickets down, halfway through the afternoon session. Then your number three comes out and your number four comes out. Your number five might come out just before stumps, you know, next day. Tired bowlers, stiff bowlers. That's how people score runs. It's not, mm. you know, they're not. It's not that, they're that much better. It's, it's time. It's fatigue. It's it's, you know, it's a huge test for these people bowling all day and then having to bowl another day,
1: you know.
0: I don't think it's good for world cricket to see England where they are. And I hopefully, you know, hopefully they do bounce back over the summer specifically against South Africa. I hope it's going to be a great series as good as, um, as, as the India South Africa series was. So yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Which was fantastic. And the, and I'll, the I'll, India. Be I'll, be I'll be reporting back live from Barbados for the, the second test. Of course um, there first, right? So, uh, yeah, everybody make sure you tune in to check, check that out. Um, That's marvelous. no photos. Marvelous.
2: Um, no, I, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I think they, the I'm not sure it's quite as bad as it looked in Australia. I think mm. that was slightly exaggerated, but I still think it, they were they were by far the worst team. But I'm not sure it was quite as bad as um, the results should, because I think you know these guys have been you know in bubbles for far too long, and I just think it's a massive you know we just don't know we don't know what the effect of that is, and uh, it's blatantly with the best will in the world it doesn't look like it's very good. So um,
0: yeah. it's all about how you look at it because you know there's there's obviously the drubbing that England got, but the other way you could look at it, if you were looking at it from a positive point of view, is England got rid of Justin Langer because he
1: has to apply for his own job.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. It just depends I mean, how you look at it. I don't, I don't know what else he would need to do. He's he's won the last World Cup. He's absolutely changed England in the Ashes, and now they're making him reapply for for his own job. I, 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 obviously, there were the issues about the coaching style and, you know, I, I don't think Cummins has openly backed him as he, which probably hasn't helped. But, I mean, you know, you, you'd be pretty disappointed to be just in Lange right now, wouldn't you, thinking, you know. Yeah, more, but, then we'll,
2: maybe, but maybe it sends out a good message. Mm. You know, that, I mean, you know, when Australia were at their height, they were ruthless, mm. horrible. I mean, they were horrible to play against. When they were at the height of their powers, they were horrible. And They cut people, they did, you know. I mean, if you remember what happened to Kim Hughes, the person I talked about, he just yeah. didn't think he was up for it. Gone, no no yeah. question about it. But a very talented cricketer, but nah, forget it, you know. Yeah. And it's, you know, because Test cricket is tough, as we say. So, you know, um, but yeah, I, I what England do, I don't, I'm not really very sure. Um, I mean, I guess there's there must be people coming through, I think they just got to give. I mean, if anything, that thing in the, in the summer, I know it's not the same thing because it was one day and not test match cricket, but it was really interesting to see what happened. You just literally had to put in 11 new people and they put on that England jersey. Their chest grew up. Yeah. They grew up, they, 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 they were bowling five miles an hour faster. John Simpson was jumping higher than he ever jumped in his life to take the most amazing catch, you know, all that stuff. And it was an extraordinary sort of thing that happened you know and that's that that, that's not that hasn't that has happened before you know those things happen when you give some people the right people and some of those people were probably thinking this is the last chance as well yeah to enjoy it and you know not worry too much about the fact and they didn't have to worry because they knew that the other team were coming back in a week's time Mm -hmm. so it was a fantastic set of circumstances and we just Mm got to get you know i do think sometimes you know they you see, you see a New England cap going out, and you just see them trudging out, and they're just carrying the weight of a thousand inches of journalist nonsense yeah. on their shoulders as they walk out, because people have been writing about them, either building them up or casting doubts on them, or both, probably. And yeah. just forget, just just get on with the game. Don't worry about it.
1: It was You're- amazing to see that that desire um, from from Simo and the, the other lads in, in against Pakistan yeah. last year. And, you know, is there is there any form of complacency starting to starting to seep in? I don't I don't know if it's
2: complacency, but I think there's a lack of variety and a lack of um, stimulus in a way, in a funny way. I think that's part of it. You know, I think if you, all you're doing is playing cricket for England, it's your job, and that's tough. Mm. That's really tough. You know, mm. these guys next weekend. You know, they. They play six matches now over the next sort of two months for their country in the six nations. And that is the highlight of their season. And then they yeah. might play three more matches for their nation in the in the autumn.
1: In the autumn yeah. you know, that's
2: eight. That's eight you know, matches they play. And it's a special thing. And you can see it on all of them. Yeah. Even the yeah. English, you know. You know, you can see there's a national pride about that. Must be really
3: difficult if, if all you do if England is your club side. Must be tricky, I think. Especially at the minute, with them, I, th- I think they're just starting to look to the point where they're beat up. They just look damaged from, and I think that you saw with Sam Billings when he came in; he's, he came in undamaged, yeah. none, none of the bubble stuff, none of the no, pressure. No, absolutely,
2: the press. absolutely. And and you know, England do have enough. Beat, you know, they've got the one thing England don't, are not short sure of is people. Mm, yeah, we've got thousands of cricketers. You know, they could refresh that squad, just chuck in a few youngsters because they've got nothing to lose now. I mean, they're, you know, they're the laughingstock of the world at the moment, so they may as well. Mm. Um, and uh, and just see what they do. Because if you do that, you know, most of those, a lot of internationalists don't, you know, they look good, but there's something that happens when they put on the national jersey and they just, it fits them and they go for it and they absolutely, you know, um, and, you know, it, why not? It, it, you know, they, they can't. Um, and and then, and then you know, and then if it doesn't work, then, as I say, one thing England isn't short of is people.
1: Yeah. Well, look, Gordon, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, brilliant to hear your insight and your passion for the, just the most amazing charity um, talking to you us know. about your career. I'm Now, I've got two things on my to-do list tonight. I'm going to go and search out Wurzel Gummidge versus Predator otherwise known as Robin Hood. Uh, And I'm also gonna try and find out if I can watch you being pegged by a Bulgarian.
2: (laughs) Trainspotting two, mate. First 10 minutes, it's done and
3: dusted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that the scene or the film? Uh,
2: (laughs) No, that's just my scene. No, No, the film (laughs) film gets really good after it. It's really good. It's great. my, my, I'm just, a, I'm just a
1: plot setter upper, really, um, in quite a painful way. But it's a plot setter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing your anecdotes. You, you love, for the and you love for the game. It's been a well, pleasure. Thank yeah. you guys
2: for doing this, this podcast. It's great fun. Great fun.
1: Pleasure. Thanks very
3: much, I'll mate. Thank you.